Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Tales to Terrify, part of the District of Wonders network. Featuring Starship Sofa and Far-Fetched Fables, everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. This week we're headed to South Carolina. Specifically, northern Greenville County, South Carolina. There's a little landmark there that I'm hesitant to pass by without checking out. Constructed in 1820, Poinsett Bridge is the oldest bridge in South Carolina, and by some accounts, the oldest in the southeastern United States. It's the only remaining of three bridges that once crossed the rivers and creeks along the Saluda Mountain Road. An old Gothic arch, built entirely from stone, standing in stark contrast to the tall groves of poplar and oak. It's a fairly picturesque sight by day. A good place to do some hiking and exploring, or to have a picnic in the serene peacefulness and seclusion of the Heritage Preserve. But once the sun goes down, the idyllic setting takes on a decidedly ominous atmosphere. Many visitors to the bridge after dark have experienced strange and eerie encounters. Unexplained colored lights often appear on or near the bridge. Bright points of blue, red, or green that pierce the darkness of the night, but have no discernible source. Far more disconcerting, though, are the many reports of voices. Human screams that echo around the bridge and out of the surrounding forest. It's no wonder many visitors and locals alike have felt they weren't alone when visiting the site after dark. The cause for this seemingly paranormal activity has been attributed to a number of potential sources. The most cliché is that the bridge is, of course, constructed on an ancient Cherokee burial ground and that the restless spirits of long-dead Cherokee rise nightly to take out their frustrations at their defiled sacred site on the living. There are also a few competing tales about a slave who was executed at the bridge. Depending on who you ask, either it was a female slave who was hanged from the bridge itself, or the other version suggests a slave was beheaded next to the bridge by his cruel master. Perhaps the most unnerving of the legends, though, involves the construction of the bridge itself. In the early 1800s, a major project like the building of the Saluda Mountain Road and its bridges took a lot of manual labor. Many of the workers that arrived to work on the Poinsett Bridge were brought up from the coast, where they had been working on the canals. With them, though, they brought more than just elbow grease they also brought a deadly outbreak of malaria. 
within the first few weeks of work, as many as 50 workers were hospitalized. Throughout the course of construction, that illness continued, and some workers perished. Now, weather is a way to cut some very unethical corners and save time, or as a means of memorializing those who died. Legend has it that some of the bodies of workers who died on the site were not only buried next to and underneath the bridge, but within the structure of the bridge itself. Could the screams heard in the night be those same anguished souls still entombed within the stone? That's not for me to decide. It seems like there are plenty of stories to choose from if you're looking to explain the strange happenings at Pointsed Bridge. I'll let you pick whichever one suits you best. But for now, we've got some stories of our own to tell. Claude Le Lumiere is the author of Objects of Worship, The Doors to Lost Pages, Nocturnes and Other Nocturnes, and Venera Dreams, A Weird Entertainment. His first fiction, Bestial Acts, appeared in Interzone in 2002, and he has since published more than 100 stories, some of which have been translated into French, Italian, Polish, Spanish, Hungarian, and Serbian, and adapted for stage, screen, audio, and comics. In summer 2016, he was one of 21 international short fiction writers showcased at Serbia's Kikinda Short 11, The New Deal. Originally from Montreal, he now lives in Ottawa. Children of the night, join me for Claude Le Lumiere's All You Can Eat All the Time, first published in Evolve, Vampire Stories of the New Undead. So, like, my hair is freshly dyed, as black as I can get it. All the clothes I'm wearing are black, too. Scarf, leather coat, with a lacy bustier underneath, leather gloves, skirt, fishnets, and boots that go mid-calf. Then there's my skin. I mean, I'm, like, pretty pale to start with, but I smear white makeup all over my face and glam it up with white glitter. It makes my skin almost glow in the dark. Last touch, white eyeshadow, plus some black eyeliner and glossy blue lipstick. I am, like, stunning. Out of this world. Otherworldly. I mean, really? It's time I got laid already. I'm in Montreal for fuck's sake. Sin City of the East Coast. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's fucking great here. The nightlife, the music, the bars, the cute girls, the hot boys, the even hotter men. It's like all you can eat all the time. But I haven't brought anyone home yet. And I haven't let anyone take me to their place either. I mean, I'm no prude. In rural Manitoba, where I'm from, there's nothing to do except sex, even if, like, there's no selection to speak of. So you do it, because it's marginally better than not doing it. But here, it's overwhelming. Paralyzing, in fact. With so much to choose from, how do you choose? Plus, the truth is, before tonight, I wasn't sure that I was ready. I mean... I'm not entirely sure even now, but enough is enough, you know? There's so much to take in, living in the city on my own. I don't want to lose myself in anyone yet. I just want to find out who I can be in all this wonderful, beautiful noise happening all around me. But I'm beginning to feel like a nun or something. So tonight is the fucking night. Sometimes, sure, 
I let some boys and girls kiss me when I go out, even feel me up a bit if I'm really into them, but I've never let it go farther than that. Not yet. Especially, I've never let myself get within grabbing range of the men. You know the ones I mean. The ones with the irresistible wolf eyes. The ones who move like they own the space around them without being arrogant about it. The ones with the strong hands you know would just make you willingly submit. No, them I've stayed away from. Because I know that's exactly where I could lose myself the most. The deepest. So, like, almost everyone I see is out in groups, laughing and chatting it up and shit. Me, as usual, I'm wandering through all this solo. It's like I'm a specter, an undead shade haunting the Montreal nightlife. I, like, go to my favorite club, Biz Biz Bazaar. It's in the plateau, not too far from where I live, and the people there tend to dress up in all kinds of weird, funky ways. But I look so amazing right now that even among that crowd, I should stand out. But for some reason, it's totally boring tonight. The music is like totally 1990s. I mean, red hot chili peppers? Really? The crowd is kind of thin and so obviously straight. What is this? Like, frat night or something? Suddenly, there are three guys dancing around me. They keep bumping into me and laughing. All of them are freaking tall and buff. And the cookie-cutter way they're dressed? They're so obviously rich kids. The type who become doctors or lawyers. Their laughter gets meaner and meaner. I try to wriggle away from them. But they're fucking hurting me slowly boxing me in, tighter and tighter. Aside from that, though, they're, like, totally ignoring me. But they know I'm there, all right. I can feel their boners when they grind into me. Enough is, like, fucking enough. I, like, scream my fucking head off, loud enough to be heard over the music, like a fucking harpy from hell. It creates enough distraction that I manage to escape. I don't look back. I'm out of there in a flash, out on the street, just running away as fast as I can. So, like, I'm an idiot. I could at least have been running toward my apartment. But no, I was too, like, flustered. A fucking helpless, hysterical victim. This is so not right. Anyway, I'm not that far away from my place. Fuck. Walking home alone. Fucking alone. Again. I am such a wimp. Such a loser. What a fucking disappointment tonight was. I mean, I'm totally disappointed in myself. I know it wasn't my fault, but fuck... This is so not what I wanted. Suddenly, I feel the hair at the back of my neck rise, and a shiver goes down my spine. And I'm hemmed in again. It's those same fucking guys from the club. They shoved me into an alley behind a dumpster, invisible from the street. Yeah, a cliche, but fucking scary nonetheless. I know better than to wait. I make to scream right away, but before any sound can escape my lungs, rough, stinky hands cover my mouth. I try to bite at the flesh of the dude's palm, but my jaw is immobilized. This guy is way too strong for me. Shit, shit, shit. I struggle. This can't happen. I am not a victim. I refuse to become a victim. But I can barely breathe. And I'm too fucking weak. Shit, shit, shit. Then, I hear a few strangled gasps. I feel a sharp burst of wind, like a mini hurricane or something, followed by a few hard thuds. 
and I'm free. I should run while I can, but I feel safe. And curiosity wins over caution. I look around. All three guys are on the ground, on their backs. At least two of them are, like, totally dead. Their throats slashed, their chests and bellies ripped open. There's a figure hunched over the third guy, a man with his face buried in the guy's neck, like he's eating or something. I really should get the hell out of here, but I'm, like, totally mesmerized. I don't want to make a sound, but just like a stupid little girl, I gasp. The man turns to look at me, and I, like, totally recognize him. Before I can say anything, though, poof, there's this dark mist, and he's gone. Like, he hadn't even been there in the first place. But I'm not the one who tore open the bodies of the three dead guys who are still right there at my feet, with their insides oozing out. I am so out of there. So like men, older guys, right? Stay away from them, especially the one who lives across the hall from me. I don't know his name, don't know anything about him. No, that's wrong. I know two things. One, he's way too fucking sexy for my own good. I mean, fuck. His eyes are so dark and strong that I swamp up my panties every time I even get the merest glimpse of them. Plus, he's freaking tall. Like, close to seven feet or something. His long hair is the color of a particularly dark red wine, with only a hint of gray. And he moves like a panther, quietly, confidently, but ready to pounce at any moment. Also, I know that he can kill and disembowel three buff guys in the space of a few seconds. Shit, shit, shit. So, like... It's a week later, and in that whole time, I haven't seen him once. Not a single time. I know he's there, though, because he, like, listens to music 24-7, and the walls here are shit. Good thing I don't ever have anyone over because, like, everyone could hear the sex show. The old dude's got weird tastes. It's like one minute it's hardcore punk rock, and then some avant-garde clangy shit, or like really melodic chamber music. Often, he binges on crap like Anne Murray or Barry Manilow. Why the hell am I scared, though? I mean, he saved me, right? If he'd wanted to, he could have had me as dessert. I'm sure I taste way better than those frat dudes did. Maybe he's just into guys. For like the gazillionth time, I stand in front of his door, my fingers millimeters away from the doorbell. But I chicken out and run back into my room. I always do. So like, I go to work. Boring. I go out. Boring. I stay out all night long. Boring. I get drunk. Boring. I get high with anything I can get into my mouth, my lungs, my nose, my veins. Boring. People flirt with me. Boring. Movies? Please, so boring. Everything is boring. Even eating is boring. And when I masturbate, what do you think? I see one thing and one thing only. That man from across the hall. Blood and gore dripping down his face, looking at me. Seeing me. I replay that over and over again. And I know what I saw then. 
and can still see in my mind. Concern. But why the fuck should he care? And it comes so fucking hard. So, like, I don't usually follow the news. I don't even have a TV. But somebody left this newspaper on the table in the lunchroom at work. And the headline says, Woman in wheelchair saved. Assailants brutally killed. So, of course, I know right away. I read the whole article anyway. It mentions other incidents suspected to have been the work of the homicidal vigilante. A little boy rescued from a limousine. Three men dead. An old man saved from a drunk driver. Only one death that time. A twosome of armed robbers eviscerated while threatening a cashier at a convenience store. But the cameras only picked up a blur. A gang of teenage boys who had been torturing and killing neighborhood cats were torn to pieces. According to the paper, my own trio of would-be rapists seemed to have been the first incident. I never reported anything, but of course the bodies were found. But this time, for the first time, they have a description. This idiot in the wheelchair, like, rats on him. She's a little vague, but it's close enough. Does she want the police to find him? I mean, he saved her. People can be so fucking ungrateful. So, like, this time, I'm so determined, I don't even hesitate. Not for a nanosecond. I press the buzzer for the third time, but still he doesn't come to the door. I know he's in there. I can hear the music. Although I wish I couldn't. I mean, the carpenters? Really? I bang on the door. I'm not going to let him ignore me. Finally, the door opens, and there he is. The sight of him, my first glimpse since that night, hits me hard. Hello, Jenny. The dude knows my name. He looks even taller than I remember. Like a fucking towering inferno of primal power. And his eyes, holy shit. That's some deep darkness there. I feel like a tiny speck of a girl, barely worthy to be in his presence. And I'm fucking terrified. In awe. Is this what it's like to be in the presence of a god? Fuck. And my panties are, like, soaked. I'm just aching down there. Aching for him. But, fuck, he's not a god. Why did I even think that? Then the obvious question finally dawns on me. What the hell is he? I mean, I've been so tied up with lust it never occurred to me to ask myself that very basic question. I mean, he's clearly not an ordinary person. Maybe he's an alien or an escaped government experiment. Do we even have weird shit like that in Canada? Or, I don't know the fuck what. As if he could read my mind, he says. I believe the best word to describe me is Vampire. Okay. Vampire. Right. So he's a deluded psycho. What the hell am I doing even talking to him? But say, for argument's sake, that, yeah, maybe he's the real thing. Then I should really run for my life. Either way, time to run. Like, now. Except... I can't budge. I feel his eyes on me, like physically holding me down, preventing me from moving. He says, Come in. And like a fucking mindless puppet on strings, I march right into the darkness of his apartment. I hear the door close behind me. 
One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. So, like, the next thing I know, I'm lying down on an unfamiliar couch, relaxed as all shit, with this strangely pleasant pain on the inside of my left wrist. I try to get up, but even though I don't see him, I feel the old dude's gaze, his will, holding me down keeping me calm. I even try to force myself to panic, but instead a wave of, like, serenity washes over me. So I just give in to it. I'm totally floating in a sea of delicious numbness. It's like after a really amazing orgasm, only without the sweat or the chafing. I have no idea how long I've been here, The lights are dim, but my eyes gradually adjust. At least the old dude's music is turned off. Finally, I regain enough presence of mind to sit up and check why my wrist feels different. And there are, like, these two tiny puncture marks along one of my veins. Welcome. His grave voice echoes like it comes from deep inside some damp underground cave. It's meltingly sexy. Again, a part of me knows I should be afraid for my life, but my body refuses to acknowledge those feelings. That voice again. If I wanted to hurt you, or kill you, don't you think I would have done it already? I couldn't resist having a taste, though. And you are indeed delicious. By now, my panties must have, like, totally dissolved. I'm sorry I can't fulfill those desires. Again, with the mind reading. Shit. And then he steps into view. And I fight this almost uncontrollable urge to fall on my knees No, not in that way. Well, not just that way. But to worship him. Because I really do feel like I'm in the presence of a god. I may look human, but I am not. I look upon you as you would upon a cherished pet or farm animal. You may be pleasant company or be a good source of food, But I would not, cannot, engage in sexual congress. I managed to say, Some people really, you know, love their cows. Great. 
I just compared myself to a cow. Way to go. I am like so seductive. I do not have to explain myself to you, but you amuse me. It's all moot. I have no sexual or reproductive urges. I simply exist. I'm not that stupid. I know about vampires. I've seen a few movies and shit. But when you, what do you call it, turn someone into a vampire? And it just dawns on me that he might have that in mind for me. And then I realize that, as freaky as it sounds, I now believe that he really is a vamp. Isn't that like satisfying a reproductive urge? He sighs. That's just folklore. Myth. Fiction. I cannot turn a human into a vampire any more than you can turn a cat into a human. I've tried. I've tried every way I've read about or could think of. It's all nonsense. Then how does someone become a vampire? How do you make more of yourselves? Again, a sigh, but this one is deep and sorrowful. As far as I know, there are no others. There is only me. There has always been only me. Hey, I know that feeling. Only me is like the story of my life. I ask, like, dude, how old are you? He sits next to me and clasps my hands between both of his. The way my whole hand can be cupped inside his palms makes me feel even smaller. I wish I knew. My memory is unreliable. Sometimes, in my dreams, I think I recall the distant past, as far back as humans evolved. Sometimes, I think I remember not always having this human-like shape. I have dim memories of once having journals, of reading about my past in them, but I lost them in a fire in the late 1800s. That's my earliest firm memory, a fire in London. Some days, I feel that memory starting to slip away, but I try to hold on to it. I remember that, even after the fire, I had other, earlier memories, but they have since eroded away. My mind can only hold so much time, and so my past eludes me, disintegrates with age. I call myself vampire simply because nothing satisfies my hunger, quite like human blood, and other elements of the myth seem to apply to me as well. So, like, you run away from crosses, you can't stand the sun, shit like that? Religious icons have no effect on me. More superstition. Though I am vulnerable to sunlight, albeit much less so if my hunger has recently been sated. Why the hell is he telling me all this? He's just taunting me. He's going to kill me as soon as I totally relax and trust him. Just to satisfy some perverse, monstrous kink. He laughs. And I remember he can read my mind. What gave you the courage to ring my doorbell was concern for my welfare. Why shouldn't I trust you? Why are you so suspicious of my motives? I almost believe him. Or is he somehow forcing his will on me, mesmerizing me in some way to trust him? Oh, and I can't actually read your mind. But, like many humans, you broadcast your thoughts and feelings more overtly than you believe. Your smell. Your posture. Your face. Your pheromones. It's all quite transparent. But yes, I can exert some control over your will. It would do no good to either of us 
if you were to scream or do something silly like that. But I've been gradually lessening my hold over you. You are grudgingly starting to accept the truth. I blurt out the question that's been nagging at me the most. So, like, why are you playing hero and saving people? I saw those boys threaten you, and I recognized you as the girl who lives across the hall from me. I was hungry anyway, so I attacked them, fed on them, but then, as I rescued you, I felt something, something good. I tried it again, saving other people. Alas, it never gave me the same sense of satisfaction as that first time with you. So I've stopped playing vampire hero. What matters is that you're here now, that we are connected. Isn't this what you want? What we both want? What he just said makes me feel all tingly, but I struggle to stay focused. Well, that's all nice and shit, but now the police might find you anyway, even if you're giving up the vigilante thing. They know what you look like now. We gotta do something about that. We should. And just like that, I see how my whole life can change. Yeah, we should. You want me around just as much as I want to be around you. You may be some way old badass vampire and shit, but you're not exactly subtle. Maybe we want different things, but maybe we can come up with a plan that'll let you feed, preferably on, like, bad people who don't deserve to live anyway, while you stay hidden from the cops. I mean, you need to eat, right? You might as well do some good at the same time. I'm already involved, you know. I want in. What I don't say, but he probably knows anyway, is how much I need this. Something that no one from my family or my town could ever imagine. Something so out of this world that I'll be able to forget all about where I came from. Now, tell me, exactly what kind of powers do you have? And weaknesses. Your history, your name, whatever you remember, all that shit. Tell me everything. And like, his deep, deep dark eyes light up and he says, You're right. I do, I mean, we need to make sure I cannot be recognized. Without asking, he plunges his teeth into my already punctured wrist. So, like, he stops sucking on me and then smiles affectionately at me. He likes me, I can tell. Shit, he likes me? What am I, a puppy dog? I guess to him, that is what I am. Beats being a pig in a slaughterhouse. I mean, I'd rather be his pet than his next full-course meal, the occasional nibble and suck notwithstanding. As soon as the thought crosses my mind, he takes my other arm, the one he hasn't bitten yet, and he bites me again. But he gives in return, too. The whole time he's sucking, I'm like, coming, not a big, wild, scream-your-head-off orgasm, but a slow wave of deep pleasure. Whoa. Close enough to sex for me. Still, I can't help but worry about all these holes in my skin. I mean, I won't exactly be inconspicuous at work tomorrow. Withdrawing from me, he licks his lips and says, Don't worry. The wounds will be gone by sunrise. And he grins like a little brat. Oh, and that little extra I gave you. He, like, fucking actually leers at me. <laughs> what a hypocrite. 
farm animal my ass. But I'm not complaining. I can control that. I don't give that to my victims. And you are no victim. Gotta say, dude knows the words to make this girl feel special. He opens my blouse, and his teeth fasten onto my shoulder. And it's like, bliss. Heaven. So, like, did I black out again? I'm so fucking dizzy. The vampire is holding my hand. It's kind of cute. So, dude, fess up. We're a team now, you and me. Tell me all your shit. I so need for him to open up to me. Like, I let him open me up and feed on me. Seems only fair. If we're gonna be in this together, there needs to be, like, mutual trust. He smiles knowingly and takes my arm, running his sharp fingernails over my skin. It makes me shiver. He knew it would. He says, I, too, want to learn everything there is to know about you. With that, he plunges his teeth into my shoulder again. As my blood flows from my veins and into his mouth, I feel the weight of my worries slip from me. I feel like it's not just my blood, but myself. That's seeping away into him. That numbness is so freaking fantastic. Like Nirvana. I almost forget who I am. Taking his mouth away, he says, All these months in this building, and never have you brought any friends here. Never have I heard you speak to anyone on the telephone. You are so conveniently alone. Shit. All of a sudden, I start crying. Shit. I've been in Montreal for like three months, and I have no friends to show for it. Not that I had any friends in my hometown either. In my family? Screw them. Shit. I promised myself I would never get weepy about being alone. It's my choice. I am not sad about it, and I am not one of life's victims. I'm not. I'm not. Fuck, fuck, fuck. The vampire cradles me while I cry. This is so fucking embarrassing. His teeth tenderly pierce my throat, and he sips a little more of me. Taking a break, he says, Earlier, you asked what my name was. If I ever had one, I've long since forgotten it. This likeness, though, was called Randolph. But it's time for me to shed this old skin and evolve. Randolph? The sound of the name makes me giggle, and I, like, totally sound high. Like I just smoked a bag full of spliffs or some insane shit like that. I wipe the rest of my tears, touch the little holes on my neck, and continue giggling like an idiot. His strong hands squeezing my shoulders, Randolph plunges his teeth into my throat again. This time it doesn't feel so gentle. But that's okay. Again, he drinks. It's starting to be hard to remember stuff. Like, fuck, what's my name? Shit like that. And it's starting to not feel so pleasant. All of this, like my bones are starting to ache. And I can't see too clearly anymore. My mouth is like totally raw and parched. My skin feels dry and cracked like all over. I peer at him and I, like, totally hallucinate. I could swear I was looking right at myself. 
Who the fuck is he again? Or is it she? What am I doing here? Where am I? I feel him, her, take my clothes off, run his, her fingernails all over my wrinkled skin. He, she bends down and bites into my thigh, and she, he drinks from me. I, like, feel myself flowing from my body into his, hers. So, like, I ache all over. I am so fucking old, so tired. But why does it feel so wrong being old? I mean, everyone gets old. That's life, you know? I just wish I could remember my life. Did I have children? Were my breasts pretty when I was younger? What did I accomplish? No use. It's all gone. Who is this young girl sitting next to me? She does look familiar, but I can't exactly remember her. Why is her mouth so bloody? And why are we both naked? She bends down and <sighs> bites down hard on my belly. It should hurt, but instead it feels like a release. It's so good, like floating numbly on a sea of pure pleasure. Letting go of myself. Letting go of everything. So like, goodbye, Randolph. Hello, Jenny. Jenny is dead. Long live Jenny. So like, I just chop up what's left of the old Jenny and put her in little bags. Then I put on her clothes. But really, this is like, nowhere near slutty enough for what I have in mind. So I go to my new apartment, Jenny's apartment, and I like, totally dress up. Vamp it up, so to speak. I dye my hair as black as I can get it. Then... A lacy black bustier, black leather gloves, black skirt, black fishnets, black boots that go mid-calf. And there's my skin. I mean, I'm like pretty pale to start with. But I smear white makeup all over my face and then glam it up with white glitter. It makes my skin almost glow in the dark. Last touch. White eyeshadow, plus some black eyeliner and glossy red lipstick. I am, like, stunning. Out of this world. Otherworldly. On my way out to the downtown clubs, I drop the little bags of leftover Jenny in public garbage cans, but none close to home. This is fucking great. The nightlife. The music. The bars. The cute boys and girls. The hot men and women. It's like all you can eat, all the time. It's almost overwhelming. So much to choose from. I let some men and women grope me. Some boys and girls kiss me. Until I find just the right one for tonight. The one who will taste just right. Then I'll let them take me to their bend, and it'll be my turn to kiss them. That was Claude Le Lumiere's All You Can Eat All the Time, as read by Heather Thomas.
Heather slings jewelry by day, but is an aspiring horror writer and voice actor by night. In her high school years, she was classically trained in opera, but now just mostly sings karaoke. She is wildly enthusiastic about all things horror, and has notably curated an impressive collection of earnest, yet awful, dog portraits. She doesn't own any dogs. She lives in Denver, Colorado, with her husband and her two evil cats, Muffin and Banana. Heather's other narrations can be found in other fine podcasts, such as Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, The Creepy Podcast, The Wicked Library, The Lift, and has recently had her first literary publication featured on Pseudopod. Thank you, Heather. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of stories to tell. For now. Consider supporting our podcast on Patreon via the link in the show notes. And like us or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our show is produced by editors Scott Silk, Seth Williams, and myself, Drew Sebastini. Theme music by Diane Severson and website by Josh Leitze. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network. Dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 